As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Chief Dream Driver, and welcome to the No Parking Podcast, where through conversations and discussions with creators like yourself, we'll find interesting approaches to help you take your dreams out of park, put them in drive, and ride towards success. Hey, Dream Drivers. Thank you for tuning in to episode 85 of the Dreams and Drive podcast. And today you are going to be hearing from Leanne Membus, who is the founder and editorial director of Boss Magazine, which is a lifestyle site for self-made women of color. And on this episode, we're going to be talking all about how to launch your own online platform and get funding. And the funding part is going to be crucial. And you're going to hear um, Leanne tell her story about how she was able to work with a small private equity firm. And she gives her tips for how you can get funding as well, if that's the route that you want to take. We talk about how she got the idea for Boss Magazine, how she used research to really figure out who her target demographic was. Leanne talks data, tech, and analytics, um, lessons she learned about herself along the journey. When we get into the funding conversation, she talks about how she got the private equity firm to be on board with her and how getting investors has changed her business. Some things that Leanne really dives deep into is three things you should do when working with investors. And one part of having that investor relationship that isn't always so fun. I think that this episode is going to be really great for anyone who is trying to build their online blog, podcast, um, website, anything. Hearing the story of Boss Magazine was inspirational for me and also gave me some uh, hope um, and some encouragement as I'm building dreams and drives. So thank you, Leanne, for that. If this is your first time listening, I also encourage you to make sure to follow us on social. We're dreams and drive across the board on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Make sure that you use the hashtag dreams and drive when you're engaging with the show. It's always so fun to go in and see what you guys are saying. And I'm always uh, making sure that I'm retweeting and sharing everything as well. One more thing is if you want today's show notes, just go to dreamsanddrive.com and click on episode 85. And also check out our site. Check out our free resources at dreamsanddrive.com slash free. And also join our online community if you want to be a part of that as well. And that's just dreamsanddrive.com slash join. Hope you guys enjoy. Let's get into the episode. Hi, Leanne. Welcome to this episode of Dreams and Drive. I'm so excited to chat with you today. 
Hi, I'm super excited to be here and be chatting with you. Thank you so much. No problem. You know, I love chatting with other uh, content creators, other media creators. So this is going to be a fun episode. But Leanne, the thing that I love to start all our interviews out and for all the listeners um, tuning in, you guys know this as well, is I like to take it back, right? I think Mm -hmm. it's very important for us to think about where we started when we think about the beginning of our journey. So tell me this, what inspired you as a child? If I had to say, you know, who was Leanne, the eight-year-old, the nine-year-old, what would you say? Uh, so the eight-year-old Leanne was deeply inspired by authors. Um, I was obsessed with reading books. I still have like my childhood bookshelf in my room back at home in Atlanta, mm-hmm. <laughs> Georgia. Um, but I was deeply obsessed with just reading. I felt like when I was a kid, books were my escape from the world. Uh, my, my siblings were really into watching TV and stuff. And I just was really obsessed with reading. So I read everything that was not to within my grade level with <laughs> chapter books. Like I was reading romance novels. I was reading all kinds of things. Romance novels. Uh, I, <laughs> I just, you know, I had a very large, like, taste for 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 books at the time I just I felt like I was you know constantly reading and I was a fast reader so I would just grab whatever I could put my hands on so the young Leanne like really wanted to be an author I wanted to write books that's what I thought I was gonna do with my life um so yeah, that's that's what inspired me as a child was was books and the written word. That's such a common theme. I want to say, you know, out of all the guests that we've had on the podcast, like seventy percent have said that books inspired them as a child. And I was also a bookhead. Like I remember going to the library and maxing out on the amount of books <laughs> that I could um, take, and I I'd like read the books wherever we go. Like my mom literally would have to take books for me in the supermarket oh, because I would just be. <laughs> reading my book like trying to like uh follow her while she was doing the grocery shopping so it's definitely that love for learning right and that love for being a part of and uh living different worlds that was something that really intrigued me back then yeah so what was your childhood dream did you have one my childhood dream I really just wanted to like create stories that would impact people. Um, Mm -hmm. And I say that because there were a lot of books that I read as a child that some were just like pure fun. Some didn't really have a meaning to them. It was just like, okay, like a bunch of kids lost in the, you know, a random world or some fictional world. Um, But I always felt like the books that captivated me and touched me were the ones that left me thinking, that had stories, that had morals to them and messages. So I felt like for me, the written word was always going to be an avenue for me to not only express myself, but to just make the world a better place. And, you know, that, that sounds maybe minuscule to a lot of the things going on in our world right now, but my childhood dream was literally like, I'm going to write books that are going to like change people's lives and save the world and, you know, leave this grand message behind. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I, you know, dreamed of doing. So you grew up in Atlanta, right? Yes. Okay. What was growing up in Atlanta like? And how did that kind of uh, feed into your, your dream? 
Yeah. Um, so growing up in Atlanta is a lot different than living in New York City, the bustling, busy New York City. Um, things were a lot slower. And obviously I was, you know, a lot younger then. So my life was, you know, more simplistic. It was wake up, go to school, you know, come home, et cetera. Um, I think what made my childhood a little bit different or a little bit more challenging, um, you know, was the fact that I grew up, I'm the youngest of three, but I grew up with a um, sister an older sister that has disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so because of her disabilities, I had to kind of like be the older sister to her. So I didn't really, you know, do the same thing that a lot of my childhood friends got to do. Like, you know, if I was on a cheerleading team, I only got to do it for a year or whatever, because there were so many other pressing things going on at home. And I had to look out, you know, look after my sister when my parents were at work or whatever. Um, And so, you know, for me, I think that really fueled like, I guess maybe because I wasn't out and about on the streets as much like that fueled my love for reading and content. That was like my space to kind of breathe and, you know, um, I guess be a kid for a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that kind of drove me deeper and deeper into content. Um, I would also say like, in addition to that, like growing up in Atlanta, I was very much into magazines as well. And you could say that's something that a lot of teenagers or teenage girls probably experienced across the country. But um, for me, like, I think I just remember one day getting a random, like, I think it was YM magazine or something. I don't even think it exists anymore. But there was some young teens magazine that came in the mail. And I was like, oh, my God, like. I love these magazines. I really love the real story section in the magazines because of the, again, the moral message that they would leave behind. And so I started thinking a lot more about venturing into magazines and could that be a career one day? I don't know. Um, I never really knew anybody that looked like me that did that kind of stuff or Mm -hmm. I grew up in Atlanta, you know, most people, their parents had like some kind of corporate job downtown and they go there and come back and that's kind of it. Um, so I didn't really know whether like a career, um, with content or media or like that existed, especially for like African-American people. So, um, yeah, like that's that's kind of how my upbringing mm. um, shaped my, I guess, drive or pathway into what I'm doing now. So you went to Yale, right? Yeah. And you also grew up because I was listening to an interview that you did with Greg E. Hill and you grew up, you know, Nigerian. Your parents are Nigerian. And, you know, I grew up Caribbean. I have friends who are Nigerian. Mm. So, you know, having that African Caribbean parent, they have some expectations for you. Right. So yeah. going into Yale, what was that like? Like what what did your parents think you were supposed to get out of your college experience? Oh my gosh. They're still waiting <laughs> for that result. <laughs> like, girl, if you don't, but um yeah, no, the, for them, I mean, I think they saw like for a long time they thought like, oh Liam's gonna end up being a doctor, whatever. And I'm not sure where they got that from because I hate like bugs and science and bloody thing. It's just like, that's not going to work for me. But, um, you know, when they saw that I was really into English, my parents were like, Oh, you, you know, you're going to end up being a lawyer. Um, and law never really like attracted me at, at all. And I had so many friends and people that graduated from Yale that were lawyers that were telling me not to be a lawyer. And, you know, I recognize it works for certain people, but it just wasn't the path for me. Um, so there was definitely a lot of pressure coming out of Yale 
and wanting to do my own thing versus what my parents expected me to do, you know, for them. I mean, I think like most Gen X, um, um, parents or adults, like they believe in stability and working at a certain place for a mm-hmm. long amount of times. I think with African parents, it's a little bit more accelerated because of their kind of journey here and being an immigrant and having to kind of deal with these like duplicitous levels of, um, you know, prejudice to some degree where it's like, oh, I'm a foreigner and I'm black or whatever it might be. So, you know, they would always talk about like their struggles and this, and I didn't, you know, travel all this way to America (laughs) to just sit here and like look at books or magazines, you know, like for them, like as much as they love that I was reading, they wanted me to turn that into something more stable, I guess. So, um, they've loosened up a little bit. Um, but I think at at the end of the day, sometimes they're like, okay, maybe, you know, she'll get a JD one day, you know. (laughs) It's funny. I think, uh, I forgot what episode this was, but I think a lot of our parents are still, you know, waiting, you know, for this phase, right? Oh, she's in a phase right now. My parents are Jamaican. So, you know, oh, it's a little phase. She's in, she's going to do something like, you know, no, mom, this is not, this is my life. This is not a phase. This is not me hitting my head and, you know, I'm coming to No, this is reality. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just something that I think, you know, even as adults, right? And I, I, I like to talk about parents because even as adults, I feel like they still kind of shape, for most people, for a lot of people, the adult figures we've had when we were growing up kind of shape how we see our adult lives and how we experience mm-hmm. our adult lives. And sometimes we may not even realize that their uh ideas on what we should be and what we or what we should not be kind of impact our dreams but let's let's kind of keep it going a little bit so you graduated from Yale what was the first um what what were you doing after graduation um so after graduation I literally um moved to New York I had like an internship for a little bit but that didn't really work out and then I ended up kind of like trying to find a new job and I ended up getting a job in, um, at a TV station, um, that was kind of sponsored by Verizon. And so, um, basically they had a TV station for their fast one customers and my job was to be a web editor. And so my job there as a web editor was literally cutting video from our television broadcast and uploading it to the website. Like that was what I did. I was in Final Cut Pro every day mm-hmm. um, editing content. And I did that for like eight hours a day. Um, but I had all these crazy hours that I was working. I literally would get to work sometimes at like 5 a.m. Sometimes like it was midnight to 7 a.m. I remember my first, I was a year and a half in New York. I didn't really have a social life. Like I didn't see anyone. I, you know, my weekends were Tuesday, Wednesday. Like that was just the life of TV. And, you know, a lot of people who continue to work in TV will say that, it has those crazy production times. It's 24 seven, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's kind of what I was doing like right after I left Yale. Mm. Did you, did the dream change during those, like, you know, those, those first postgraduate experiences? Yeah, I would definitely say it did. I think, you know, when I was at Yale, I, 
studied English. I was an English and ethnic studies major. And, you know, for a while I had done some internships in media during my summers. And I really thought like, you know, I'm going to be a journalist. Like this is what I want to do. Um, and I, I honestly felt like I kind of just not, I wouldn't say I fell into it, but I sort of did because again, like I said, when I grew up, I didn't really know, you know, like, brown women or anyone that was like a, a a journalist, at least in my neighborhood, I would see like Soledad O'Brien on TV and think like, oh my God, she's amazing. Um, you know, I'd see people on Good Morning America and I'm like, okay, like people do this. Um, but it wasn't really something that was preached to me to do. And so when I got to college, I did, you know, some work for the newspaper here and there. I was like, okay, I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to do news. Um, and then I realized like, honestly, after working at, um, you know, the TV station and doing that for a while, I was like, this isn't for me. (laughs) News is not my thing. You know, I, I, I think what it was, was just, I started getting like, not depressed, but when you're just surrounded by that negativity, which, a lot of, unfortunately, local news is filled with just, you know, car crashes, fires, this, that. Every single day, I was like, oh, my God, I can't do this forever. Um, I realized, though, the positive was that the web and media and, like, digital, like, just multimedia content, all that stuff, I was really amazed by it, design, mm-hmm. coaching everything. I kind of got sucked into the world of the computer. So, um, although like my original dream was, Hey, I'm going to be like the next Barbara Walters, or at least I thought, um, that didn't necessarily work out that way. You know, what's interesting. Um, I interned at CBS corporation during my, um, during my summers in college. And one of my rotations one summer was at CBS news. And you know, like you have an idea of what a newsroom is like until you actually work in a newsroom and you realize like, why would anyone want to work here? It's just, I feel like the people who want to do news, like eat, sleep and breathe that life. Like you really have to like really, really love it. So if you don't love it you can't make yourself love it if that makes any sense right it's just like it's one of those experiences that once you actually get it you're like wow this is not what it seems like or on tv of course like you know the the setting may be glamorous in some ways but the actual work and just the style of the work is not always um what one may think but all right so when did the whole idea for boss magazine come about Yeah. So that kind of occurred while I was working at the TV station. And as I mentioned, I had all these late nights um, and, you know, I needed something to do. Um, Unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately enough for me was we had to be there or at least the the website for the TV station had to be manned or staffed 24 hours a day because you never knew what was going to happen. Breaking news could happen at any point in, in time. And so, but there was always kind of like a dead period for me. I think it was like the first three hours of my job were mm-hmm. literally like me and the computer and the screen <laughs> and maybe like one other producer in the station or whatever. Um, and so, you know, I started filling that time by like, looking at blogs and magazines. And, you know, one day I was like, you know what, I really want to make this work. Now I had the idea for, um, an online magazine originally about, um, 
I would say like a year or so ago, like when I was in my senior year of college, but, um, I didn't really launch a boss as it is in its full capacity, um, until like that first year or so into like my young professional working career. So yeah, it was during those like dark, (laughs) lonely hours at the station that I was like, I'm going to go and buy the domain and I'm going to sign up for this and I'm going to make this work. And, um, I just kind of started tinkering away. Okay. So you, you had this idea, you said you were going to start tinkering away. What was that first iteration <laughs> of the site? Like, yeah. Um, so the first iteration of the site, I would say the first iteration of the site prior to boss was just kind of like, general women's lifestyle magazine. And I, um, you know, at the time I didn't really have a direction with it. I was Mm -hmm. just like, I'm going to start a magazine because there needs to be more representation of black women in the media. And there's a lot of that now, which is beautiful. Um, what was the year? I just want to get the positioning. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, I would say my first like concept ever for a site was like, 2011, 2012 was like that first moment, um, Mm -hmm. before I kind of pivoted and created boss. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, no, no worries. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, like that first site was just kind of general. It was a little bit of this, like, I think I was writing about like celebrity stuff or news. It was just, it was all over the place. Um, I don't even know if I still have some of those posts anywhere, but, um, after a while, I started realizing like, you know what, I really want to write about what's authentic to me and what's true to me. And, you know, I, I see all these great, like beautiful, smart, like brown girls in New York city hustling, trying to win, you know, everyone has these dreams and these goals. And at the end of the day, we're all trying to, or at least the people I knew in my circle, were trying to be self-made, you know, we're all trying to make it from nowhere to something or from the boonies to the penthouse. We're all trying to be on top. And I really wanted to find a way to capture that online. And so that's kind of where the idea for boss came from. And, you know, I was like, it's time to pivot, it's time to change this. Um, I'd already had like an incident where like this, this lingerie store wanted to kind of sue my site. Um, Wait, why? <laughs> yeah. So my site originally, the first site was called Liberette and, um, I had no idea that someone else had that name and I guess, you know, and they talk about like doing all this research and stuff. And I researched, I was like, Oh, there's no magazine called Liberette. So I'm going to take that. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, the store reaches out from like, like I think they're based in Europe or the UK or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they reach out and they're like, Oh, you have my name. You stole my exact business idea, (laughs) all this stuff. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I promise. Like I'm just a little girl in like New York city. That's just trying to make it out here. So, um, that kind of prompted me to like have to scrap the idea and come up with something else. Um, but it was kind of simultaneous to me recognizing like, okay, if I'm going to do an online magazine, who should I focus on? Who do I want to target? And I realized, Hey, it should be girls like me that are out here trying to be resilient and bounce back from whatever they're bouncing back from and trying to make it to the top. So how did you work through, you know, cause there might be, there might be people listening in who also want to start sites and who aren't really sure on how to zero in on their audience. How did you kind of, you had the idea for the audience, but how did you do that research and really zone in on what you were going to offer to this self-made woman who was coming to your site? Yeah. So I would say like originally 
I guess I hadn't really, you know, targeted, I, I hadn't figured out that the woman was going to be a self-made woman, right? Okay. At first I was like, you know, I want to do a multicultural magazine. I wanted to focus on brown women because, you know, there's not a lot of representation of us in mainstream media. And that was kind of the original thought. And then um, I did, I, I did, you know, standard kind of like, my own research, I looked at, well, what do I read and what kind of magazines do I look at and who's in those magazines and what type of people do they showcase and, you know, what's popular right now, what's trending online. Um, I also did like a lot of, um, just research into different um, journals and studies and just seeing like what's trending for millennials. I think around that time, that's when the buzzword millennials started getting really popular. So it's like, where do millennials go on site on, um, online? Where do um, women of color live when they're online? Are they on their phones? Are they on, you know, Twitter? Are they like, where are they? Um, And so I did a lot of kind of, I guess I would say consumer behavior kind of research prior to, and then also just kind of generally asking my friends. And, you know, when I go out or walk by, you know, get off the train, you walk past a newsstand, like, what do you see there when you flip through a physical magazine or go to that magazine's website? Like, what are we seeing? And so it was through that, that I recognized, like, there's definitely this buzz and drive for entrepreneurship right now, especially amongst millennials. Um, but also like, I wanted to take it up a notch and be like, okay, well, this isn't just for entrepreneurial women. This isn't just for career driven girls. This is for the self-made women. Um, and really just identifying with the stories that I was meeting in the streets, the women that I was meeting, it was like, everyone was like, Hey, I'm starting out from nothing. I'm trying to make it to the top. And so, um, that's really what helped me to kind of capture and figure out who my target audience was doing that kind of, research that real street work, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then also like researching online to see what's trending. What do people read? What do people click on? You know, like Forbes 30 under 30 is such a huge buzz thing now, but were people looking at that in high school or college? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it wasn't, you know, even that I wouldn't say as popular, but as popular as it is now. So I think a lot of that kind of fed into it. And that's kind of when it clicked for me. Okay, so you had the idea. Were you thinking of it as a business at this point? Um, I think I, you know, at that point, I I wasn't. Like, it wasn't fully fleshed out, like, oh, I'm going to make Boss a business. Um, I knew it wasn't a hobby. I think I was in that middle stage where... Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this isn't just some play play stuff. Like I'm <laughs> investing, you know, I'm investing my time, my energy. I'm waking up on a Saturday. Your money. <laughs> my money. Right. And I'm tinkering with this. I'm telling people about it. Like, you know, so I was in that middle stage where I knew like boss could be something. Um, but I wasn't really sure what it was. Like, I think for a long time, it was just me running the site before people reached out to say, Hey, I want to write. Hey, I want to work for you. Hey, I want to do this. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I was in that middle stage where I was in between hobby and like actual business. So, yeah. So can you talk to us about like that growth stage? Cause I feel like that's something that can, some can be either, it can happen really quick for some, for some content uh, platforms and it can kind of be a slow build. Which one was it like for you and how did you work through growth? Yeah. So I, I would definitely say for me, it was a slow build. Um, but I also think it's because I was 
you know, I've been working while building boss, um, or I would say working as to say keeping a full-time job. And so, um, because of that, a lot of my time during the day was strewn somewhere else versus towards my own kind of project and my own type of stuff. So I say that to say that, you know, even though I had a lot of dead time when in my first job to launch boss over the years, like I had more responsibility and that kind of took away time from focusing on boss. So I think because I was kind of working on it on my own, um, you know, if I get sick, there's no content on the site or if I, you know, get busy with life or something else happens, I just wasn't as consistent. I'll say consistent, um, as I could have been. And so that, that kind of, um, growth stage was very slow, um, in the first couple of years, I would say, um, you know, outside of like telling my friends about it and stuff like that. And some people finding me on the interwebs, it was like, boss was still, you know, still a baby. It was still, still emerging. Um, but it wasn't really, I would say until about, I would say 2016, like 2015, 2016, um, things started to pick up and people started to recognize us. We're getting little shout outs here and there. Um, and, and having like the investor support that we've really been able to kind of grow and, and take things to a new level. So before we talk about the investor support, because that's what this podcast, you know, I wanted to focus on is, you know, you said you started to, things started to pick up. Like what did picking up look like? And maybe talk about it in the sense of how can how do you know when something's picking up right because sometimes when you're working on something or working in something you don't really you can't really appreciate the growth that's happening so how did you guys identify um that wow like boss is taking off yeah yeah for us i think it was definitely the main kind of metrics to figure that out was i mean obviously it was like traffic and then but mostly engagement um because you could have a high traffic site you could have like ads that run and people come to your site but if there's no engagement then it's like well you know, do you have a community here? Are you building something that people want? How do you really know? Um, and so for us, it was like seeing that, seeing, you know, going from having like a hundred views a day to a thousand to like 2000 to like 3000 a day or something like that. Um, that kind of steady growth was a sign that, okay, people are finding us or coming to us. Um, and you know, a lot of that traffic was like new traffic. So we knew it was like, people are, these aren't just repeat. I mean, we were getting repeat visitors and seeing that grow was also cool, but you know, if 80, I wouldn't say 80, but let's say, um, more so like 70% of your traffic is new each month. And it's like, okay, people are finding us from different ways, different channels, um, and that's a good thing to see. Um, in addition to that, I would say the engagement, you know, we would see longer read times on our content or, you know, visit times on our site. So instead of it being like a quick 10 seconds bounce, someone's gone, they would be there for, you know, maybe I think sometimes we would see like four minutes or something. And we're like, okay, what are people doing on the site? Where are they clicking? What are they, you know? And so, that kind of drove us to look into data and measurement and seeing what's working, what's not. But, um, I would say those are kind of like the key metrics that made us realize, Oh snap, like people are checking us out. And then tweets, like people tweeting us directly, directly telling us they love the stuff. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, and I'm floored to see that and hear that. But that also lets us know like, okay, like, 
things are going in a positive direction. It's not just like dark and crickets, <laughs> like, you know, just yourself in a room in your computer. And you mentioned something that I think is so critical, especially if you're building an online platform, is just your data and your analytics. And I think sometimes people who are creatives, they may not, uh, they may be a little bit scared of the data, right? They may be scared to get their hands dirty with analytics. Mm-hmm. They might be even be scared to get their hands dirty with the technical stuff. And I know that at, from building the site, um, you kind of stepped up your own tech knowledge and kind of your backend web development knowledge. Why is that stuff also very critical if you're going to be creating an online platform? Um, I think it's extremely critical because at the end of the day, like you have to know what your readers or consumers or whoever's visiting your online platform want. And you can't really know that without measuring what you're doing. Um, I think data is important, both from like a predictive standpoint of being able to target and bring in people to your platform, but also from, you know, a reactive standpoint as well, where it's like, okay, we created this content or, you know, we have this idea for a platform. How do people react? What do people like our stuff? Do they comment? Do they share it? Like a sharing the most powerful form of engagement out there today. Um, so I think that's just like so heavy and so critical to any online platform. Like I wouldn't advise anyone to start their site without, you know, having like your analytics tool set up, mm-hmm. having tags on your site, like really measuring things. Like when you send out a newsletter, do you tag the, um, the links in there so you can see where the sources is coming from, you know, is, UTM as, codes, you know, yes, <laughs> UTMs, exactly. Um, you know, like, do you, do you, is SEO your big driver or people finding you through search? You know, what are they looking for? Like, I mean, all those things are so important today. I felt like back in like, the mid 2000s, you know, that time frame, late 2000s, like if you got in early enough and you had cool content, then you probably were going to make it. Today, it's such a like crazy online space, not just with blogs or websites or magazines, but it's also like just businesses in general. And just the space is so crowded that you have to be really smart and strategic. And so um, I would say that's like the big thing that you know, I would advise anyone to do with their starting an online platform is making sure they have their data game on point, like that you're not only setting it up, don't just set it up and don't look at it, but actually reviewing that and analyzing and seeing what works um, and pivoting when you need to. So at this point, right, we talked a lot about the stuff that you were doing, but I also think it's so important to reflect on ourselves as individuals. Like, what were some of the things you were learning about yourself, Leanne, that were critical or that, you know, you were learning because you were building boss? Right. Um, I would say the biggest thing I was learning about myself was how, like, tenacious I am or mm-hmm. was tenacious I am, I guess, in general, when it comes to getting something done. Um, and I will say, like, as you mentioned earlier, like a lot of the things um, boss taught me was the technical stuff and coding and just changing the design or the layout or this and that. And, you know, I'm blessed to have had the opportunity to build a project to learn those things. Um, but, you know, I would, I would realize like how steadfast and hungry I would get about, you know, fixing something. If I wanted a new feature on the site, let's say tomorrow, and I didn't know how to do it, like, 
I will literally sit and <laughs> Google research, ask my like developer friends, like, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you do this? And I will stay up or get up early on a Saturday morning or stay in on a Friday night just to like make that work make that come to life. Um, you know, or if it's a new campaign, like I, I will just, I'm very tenacious. I will say when it comes to like getting things done, um, for what I care about and what I love. And so I think that's what I realized about myself through the project of, or the process of building bosses, just not giving up on certain things and, you know, how much you can tell what your passion is when you're willing to like do it for no pay, when you're willing to put in so much sweat equity to make something come to life. And Mm -hmm. that's what I realized about myself while I was building this was that, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm a hard, I'm a fighter and I'm not going to give up. Mm-hmm. So 2015, 2016, was the site making any money yet? Um, at this point it was making money, but mostly on advertising. Um, that was kind of our main source of revenue. But mm-hmm. at first it was just like, oh, we have Google AdSense. Like that's it. Cha-ching. And then <laughs> like, you know, people started reaching out to us about, you know, doing a sponsor package or doing a sponsor post or what have you. So that's when like more money started coming into the site. And, and, you know, I was like, oh, we need a media kit. We need to do this. We need to put this stuff together. And so I think that's when I really started seriously thinking about boss as a business and not just like, you know, this thing that I had that was, you know, making little coins or quarter drop here or there. But um, I, I started thinking of it more seriously as an actual venture. So what was that conversation like? Like what? Or you know what? Let me go back. You mentioned we. Was there people on your team at this point? Because you when you're talking about it, you keep saying we. So I just want to make sure that I'm not, you know, we're not forgetting to shout out a team or some sort. Like, were you doing everything by yourself and hiring external help? Or was there a core team at this point as well? Yeah. So I would say by 2015, end of 2015, there was definitely... Um, a slow team building. So I had freelancers um, contributing. It wasn't like a core, core team. I think the core team has gotten built out through um, the series of like 2016, 2017. Um, But when I would say prior to 2015, it was definitely like me doing most of the work. Um, I had like a couple of friends helping here and there. Um, I think I speak about Boston a wee now holistically just because, you know, I do have like a team now and there's more people involved. And so, um, I think of boss as more of a brand and I, I just speak in we so, so much, but, um, but yeah, like that's kind of how the structure of the team grew. And that's, you know, why I keep referencing it like that. Okay. Okay. So let's get to the moment, right? The moment that a lot of people who are building uh, brands sometimes face is the idea of needing capital. You know, if you want to take your business to the next level, you have to invest. But if you don't have the funds to invest, it can be a hindrance, right? Walk us through the decision or your thought process for like why you decided or maybe not even a decision. Like what was that whole uh, looking for funding or that funding story like for you? Right. Um, so initially when I started Boss, like I had done a couple of um I would guess 
I guess, competitions, you would say, mm-hmm. um, or pitch competitions. Yeah, I don't know why that word's blinking on me, but pitch competitions. And um, I didn't win anything. I didn't win any of them, but definitely got some great feedback out of them. Um, you know, one I did when I was in Connecticut, um, another I did early on when I first moved to New York, and um, nothing really came out of it, but good connections, good feedback, good um, areas for growth. But uh, I will say the positive overall was, you know, people loved Boss. Like, they just love the site. And, you know, when you stare at something for a long time, you're just like, ugh, this isn't good anymore. Like, I <laughs> to that place where I was like, ugh, this is just a Like, what am I going to do with this or whatever? Um, and then a few years later, um, I would say it was actually around December of 2015, November 2015, um, I got a message on um, through LinkedIn and on my site. And um, it was from one of the now one of the investors in my um, company and they were saying, you know, we're looking to build out this network of sites and we, you know, really love boss. We'd love to talk to you about it. And I was like, Oh my God, like, you know, this is crazy. Is this a spam? Like, what is this? Where is this coming from? Um, and so I, I reached back out to them, you know, had a lot of conversations back and forth, had to get some lawyers involved um, just to make sure, like, you know, this is legit. This isn't, you know, some crazy stuff going down um, and everything squared out pretty fine. But I think at that point, you know, I thought about having capital and support prior to it. And a lot of the early feedback I got was like, you know, you need to test this out and really see if this can work on your own. Um, you know, is it, we're not sure if you're at the point yet. And, you know, at that time, like the site was still growing. I didn't have like more than, you know, 20,000 viewers a month or anything like that. So it wasn't as if the site was super big or popping or whatever. Um, but you know, by the time the investors had reached out, there had been some buzz and I think they were looking for smaller sites to invest in so that Mm -hmm. they could you know, grow them and scale them, obviously. And so, um, you know, after that kind of, I guess I would say stroke of luck, like things really kind of moved in a positive direction. And um, I decided to begin working with them in 2016. And, you know, their investment, not only from a financial standpoint, but an intellectual standpoint has been really great in helping me make certain decisions, making me, you know, rethink about what the value of boss is and the worth of our products. And, you know, really just testing. I think that's the biggest thing is having that cushion to be able to test new ideas and see what would work. Um, you know, that has kind of been the biggest, I guess, positive point out of it all. So, um, yeah, I, I pretty much just emerged from this place of, you know, I'm going to try these competitions see what happens. You know, I'm going to apply for things and nothing really working out, um, to kind of this, you know, angel question Mm -hmm. about, you know, in quotation marks, um, coming through and being like, Hey, we want to support you. We believe in boss. Um, let's make this work. And so ever since that decision, you know, I've really had to, obviously boss is a business, it's LLC, you know, it's incorporated all this stuff. And so it's like, all right, I really have to like be a real businesswoman now and, and, and make this work. And that means, you know, curating reports and data and sending that back to my investors and having weekly calls and all this type of stuff. Um, but it's been really beneficial in, in helping to see the brand grow. All right. So there's so much here. There's so much here. So what, like, 
how did you so was this an angel investor was like a venture capitalist you have to pay the money back like how does that work like how does the how is the investment structure set up Yep. So they're definitely, um, angel investors, but they're like, they're small, um, private, I guess you say private equity firm, but, Mm -hmm. um, they're angel investors to a degree. So basically they do give you a level of, um, financial investment along with like, and when I say intellectual capital, it's not only just advising, but also like accounting services or legal services. Um, you know, having a lawyer to talk to like for free, like things like that. Um, you know, they also kind of have a sales team to help kind of drive, um, you know, future advertising, pitches or, um, sales to my site, et cetera. Um, so that's kind of how that is set up and how that works. And, you know, at some point their goal is really like they're investing in these sites to see them scale and grow. Um, I think, I, I mean, not, I think, but at some point, obviously it's like when you invest, you want to be able to recoup and, um, you know, get something upon like some kind of huge exit or whatever. Um, so that's more so like, it's more so a long-term goal versus like, you know, Hey, we gave you $10. We need our $10 back. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's more so like we're investing in you right now to see you grow. Um, if this works, Hey, hooray, like for everyone. Um, if it doesn't work, it's okay. Like this is not a sole proprietorship, so I'll be okay. But, um, that's kind of how the structure is set up. So do they, um, do they own part of the company now? Or like, I don't know anything when it comes to, well, I shouldn't say anything. I'm not really versed in this as well. So like, do they own part of the company? So like, how does, what's in it for them, I guess, at this point? Yeah. So they do have a certain percentage taken to the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, based on that, if, if, you know, this collective of sites were to go through like a sale or, you know, if someone were to say, Hey, you know, we want boss or, Hey, boss starts making X amount of dollars a year. Um, you know, they would get a percentage back based on their stake in the company. Um, so they do have a certain ownership in it, but I still run the site like day to day. Um, and it feels like that, like it's still mine a hundred percent. Um, at the end of the day, they do kind of, you know, because of, um, their involvement, they do share like certain thoughts or visions or ideas that they might have for the the growth of the site. But at the end of the day, it's still on me. And so it's, it's like, I'm still in the driver's seat. It's not necessarily like I'm in the driver's seat or I'm in the shotgun and they're driving. It's like, I'm still in the driver's seat, like making this baby work. So yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. How has getting an investor changed what you can do with the company? Um, so it has really helped us, like I said earlier, being able to just test ideas out, you know, um, sometimes I think we always think about like new ways we could do things, new ways we could launch something, but sometimes those launches or like a new product, a new service, a new, you know, vertical on the site might cost money. You know, I might have to invest in a writer. I might have to invest in creating the product. I might have to invest in who knows, you know, like there's a fluid of things that could be, um, but for me, it's really been able to say, hey, okay, we have like a cushion, like a financial cushion to say, let's try this. Let's try this. If it doesn't work, okay, it doesn't. If it does work, let's go this. Let's use this strategy. And a lot of it is, again, going back to the data analytics, being able to 
look at what we're doing, predict what we're doing based on, you know, this investment as well. But I think I would say it's really been able to, you know, their investment has helped us to test out different ways to grow the content. So, you know, if it's running a sponsored ad on Facebook or if it's hosting an event, um, you know, they can help us test that. And then we find ways to replicate that on our own so that we can grow and make money as a, you know, as a site. So would you recommend, or maybe let me ask, if somebody who has a site, you know, this could be anyone's site, I want to say a site because this is what you know, someone who has their own online platform and they're looking to get investors, what are the top things that, you know, you need to have in order to successfully be able to go through that experience? Right. Um, I would say there are a few key things. Um one is definitely having kind of like the you you have to be open to constructive criticism um and and help and advice um if you're the type of person who doesn't want to hear people tell you what to do then don't get involved <laughs> with investors you know because at the end of the day they're people that have experience they've built companies before they know what they're doing or at least they say they know what they're doing and they should have a track record to show that um you know basically like you have to be willing to hear them say something and, you know, consider it or test it out. So I would say that's one thing. Um, two, when it comes to like dealing with or finding investors, um, you have to be really ready to do your research, especially into language that you might not understand. Um, you know, when it comes to dealing with investors, there's a lot of like legal language involved, obviously, whether it's like signing a contract, signing a deal, or just kind of understanding their structures or deal structures. Um, you know, and I was lucky enough to be able to lean on like all those law school friends that, <laughs> you know, all the friends. <laughs> law school, even though I didn't go, um, that could read through the language and say, oh, you know, Leanne, this is a good idea or "Mm, don't do this. It's a scam or whatever. Um, you know, so that, that's definitely like a second huge part is doing your research. Um, especially when it comes to like the legality and the terms and stuff like that. Um, and then thirdly, I would say, um, just one other aspect when it comes to dealing with investors is being very like, even though like you might have this lump sum of change or, you know, this new access to capital or money still being lean about what you're doing. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think about, I think because I didn't grow up with a lot of money, I'm not the type of person who's going to like blow through anything Mm -hmm. to me. And so, you know, you have to be smart because at the the end of the day, they're going to ask you like, you know, if you want a million dollars, what are you going to do with a million dollars? How do you plan to spend this like down to the very penny? And so, you know, you can't, um, if you look at it as just like free money and waste it away, then, you know, that's going to ultimately bite your business in the butt. Like, you know, you're not going to grow or certain things aren't going to work or certain tests, you know, whatever you're doing, it might not pan out for the best. Um, so just being really lean about it and thinking, I still think of it in the sense, like if my friend were they loan me money, like, and I have to give my friend this money back one day, like, what am I going to have anything to give them? You know? So, um, just being very lean about your finances when you're running a business in general and not just thinking like, Hey, I got, I'm sitting on money bags right now. Like I'm okay. Um, just want to be smart about that. What's one aspect of, you know, having, um, an investor that you don't necessarily love? Um, I would say a lot of the kind of 
metric reporting, um, you know, and I, and more so like, I like digging through the numbers and analyzing, but having to compile that every month and, you know, look at it and talk through it, you know, it's, it's important. It's very important. Um, but it's also very like, it can get like mundane, you know, doing over and over again. So, um, I would say that's, that's one aspect. So, okay, let's, let's take a little pause from the investing. Are you, do you also have a full-time job? And if so, how do you juggle everything that you're doing? Um, so currently right now I do still have a full-time job and, you know, um, that's more so to continue supporting myself while I'm here in New York. Um, but I keep things going by having a fabulous team of amazing, like contributors, writers, assistants that, um, you know, really just support the brand and, and keep things going. I mean, I, I haven't written content for the site in a very long time. Um, outside of some of the interviews that we do. So a lot of stuff that you see has been written by other amazing, like young, ambitious boss women. And so I'm so grateful to them in order to like have things up and and going on the site. That is amazing. And I feel like that's something that we all aspire to. But at the same time, it's so scary. It's kind of like when you drop your baby off at the babysitter for the first time, right? It's like, is it going to be the same when I pick her up? You know, <laughs> how how did you go about trusting other people with the vision that you had and, you know, just making sure the people that you were having writing for the site were of quality and were able to really understand the voice? Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing with that is we have all of our writers that come on, like do kind of an editorial test. Um, and that test is more so to see, like, do you understand the boss brand? Do you understand the boss message? Because at the end of the day, you're right. Like, this is my baby. And so I want anybody who's working on it to understand, like, what's the boys who are trying to target you know, are you this girl, like essentially on your own? Like, are you a boss woman on your own? Um, can you really speak and understand what it is our reader wants? And so we have everyone do like a test, even like, you know, an assistant that's on our team, like we want you to do the test too. Like you might not be writing content, but we want to make sure you understand how to convey the brand and the message to anyone else. You know, one of the questions we always ask is like, you know, what, is what do you think the mission of boss is or what do you think the the brand message is? And, you know, it's always interesting to me, the different responses we get. Sometimes it's like, Oh, boss is just career site. But then we get like responses that are like, no boss is not just a career site boss is X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, um, having that as like a preface for the entry point to having people on our team has really helped us understand, okay, these are the people we want to work with people who can eat, live, speak boss um those are the people that we really go after and they're the reason why boss is still afloat so one of the other things that you mentioned a little bit earlier was the idea of you having to um learn to be a real businesswoman right what are some of like the biggest business tips that you have for our dream drivers who want to create their own platforms and have successful businesses and not just successful ideas you know Absolutely. Um, I would say like three biggest things. Um, one is as a businesswoman or business person in general, um, is having the bravery to start something. Um, I think at the end of the day, everyone knows like most entrepreneurs are people who are risk takers. They're willing to test things out. They're willing to 
you know, try things out. And sometimes that might mean investing some of your own bread to get things off the ground before it turns into something huge. And so, um, you have to first have that kind of brave bravery within you to kind of take risks and, and test things out. I would say too, the second thing, um, would be having resilience and being able to bounce back and knowing like, okay, if your first idea fails, like you're willing to try again, you're willing to step things up. You're willing to relook at the numbers. Um, you know, maybe it's like, I created this new product and nobody freaking wants it, you know, being able to not allow your failures to like hold you down, but level setting and analyzing and starting over, you have to be able to fall down and get back up Mm. um, as an entrepreneur, as a businesswoman. I think that's so key. Um, And lastly, it's just like being able to ask for help. Um, Like I said, for a long time, I was running the site by myself. And that was really much like the, the publishing schedule was dictated by my um, energy or ability to do things. Um, and you know, that could hurt your consistency over time. And so, you know, you have to know when it's time to like ask for help, get a virtual assistant. If you can't hire anybody, you know, maybe it's like getting a friend on board or getting an intern or something, but you have to know when it's time to ask for help and fire yourself and delegate your work in order for your business to grow. So was there a time, you know, I want to say maybe in the last year that you felt like given up and if so, how did you work through that? Yeah. Um, giving up, I think so. Definitely when I got to a point where, you know, I was like really sick, I had a cold that I was overcoming and I just could not touch anything that had to do with boss. And that sounds crazy because I love boss. Like it's not... <laughs> Like I literally wake up reading boss emails, go to sleep reading boss emails. And I think I just kind of overworked myself and kind of got sick and I just couldn't look at things. And, you know, people were sending me follow up emails, respond, Leanne, where are you? What's happening? You know, people on my team are like, what's going on? Um, And I think that was just a point in which I realized, you know, sometimes you have to make the shift um, towards your dreams versus like trying to do it all. Um, and you know, that's when I recognize like, okay, Leanne, like you, like it's, it's, it's okay to take a break sometimes in order to, or it's okay to find balance in order to make things work for your business. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of just been running full steam and I was like, all right, this is Leah needs some self care time. Not only does she need to get better, but she needs to work that into her schedule a little bit more in order to, to keep things going. So yeah, that was kind of like one of my biggest breaking points. Um, but you know, I've, I've really been encouraged to keep it going and, and keep boss going because the people love it and, you know, I get so much positive feedback. And so it's like, all right, we can't give up on boss yet. We gotta, we gotta keep going. And I think that's a theme that a lot of us dream drivers have is that theme of knowing that you have to keep going. You know, the original name for this podcast was no parking podcast. And I think it's just that mm-hmm. the idea of you could, you could be in pause, right? You could be in reverse. You could be in neutral, 
But just as long as you don't go back to park, because sometimes it's hard to get back out of that. And just to know that at least with the other ones, you're you're moving towards drive, right? You might be right. in reverse, but moving towards drive. You might be in neutral, but moving towards drive. And that's the thing that I think is just so important for us on our journey. So thank you so much for sharing yours, Leanne. Absolutely. This has been such a pleasure and an honor. I appreciate you like you dig deep with the questions. <laughs> I was like, she is gonna We're get not done together. yet, girl. We're not done. Oh, we gotta go okay. to the lightning round. We gotta go to the yeah. lightning round. Oh my gosh. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna give you a prompt and I want you to tell me the first word that comes to mind. And remember we're gonna be sticking with our whole dreams and drive metaphor, okay? Okay. So the Got first it. word is park. Um, I would say the first word is like Stuck, like being stuck somewhere, not going anywhere. No gas. <laughs> Reverse. Um, backing up. So like bouncing back and trying again. Resilient. Uh, neutral. Just chilling, straight chilling, like <laughs> cruise mode. Just you know, we're we're just we're operating, we're executing right now. We're just going. All right. And I'm going to I'm going to switch it up for the word drive. I want you to tell me the first song that you think of when you hear the word drive. Mm, I would say Beyonce's. I'm sorry. I'm a Beyonce fan. Beyonce's Shining, that new song she has with DJ Khaled. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't know song. what it is, but I just think of like, you know, we're going. It's like nothing can stop you. Like. Yes, all that energy. <laughs> and that song, that song has like a laid back, cocky confidence, right? Like she's exactly. not singing too hard. They're just like jamming. Like she's not trying too hard, but you know she's still a shit. You know, it's like, okay, exactly. yeah, I'm shining, like, shining, um, shining. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you get it. <laughs> and if you want to be a dream driver, you have to have your keys to success. So tell me three things, Leanne, that you think every dream driver needs in their toolkit before they hit the road. Um, I would say. You definitely need one. Um, the one thing I would say is like a notepad or notes. Um, I'm the type of person who's always jotting down ideas when I go somewhere. So whether it's like a physical notepad or like a Evernote or Google Drive, whatever it is, Google Docs, sorry. Um, always have notes on you. I feel like every entrepreneur, like just have some place <laughs> to jot down your ideas. Yeah. <laughs> to have some place to jot your ideas down and capture them. Um, that's number one. Number two is, um, and, and I'm not sure how many of your listeners are spiritual or not, but I would just say, um, having time in your toolbox to just kind of reflect or, you know, pray or whatever it is that you need to do to keep your spirit flowing, whether it's meditation, um, just having that balanced time to like, you know, pep yourself up when you're feeling down or you're feeling like you're, you're stuck or someone's stolen your business idea, whatever it is, having that, I think is a definitely definite number two that you should keep in your toolbox. And then lastly, um, I would say, um, is having like, I'm going to go back to something I mentioned earlier, but the, the measurement and the data and the analytics tools, um, extremely key for growing a business, especially an online business today. Um, and you know, your data and metrics might not be that complicated or need to be that complicated, but having that in your toolbox, um, before you, you, you go is going to be clearly like 
essential to helping you learn and grow along the way. Those are all such great tips. And I hope that people listening in are writing it down in their notebook that they should already have. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so one last thing I want to ask you is what are some of your favorite tools, you know, as a girl boss, as somebody who is running a digital site, like what are just some of your must, um, your not must have, but yeah, must haves, like things that you can't live without. Um, I would say for me, like one is having some kind of news aggregator. Um, I always like to, you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a heavy reader. So I like to read stuff. I like to know what's going on, but also just knowing what's going on in your industry and your space is really important. And so, you know, I get like the TechCrunch emails every um, day. I think it's at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon, but I also like to use Feedly um, or Flipboard to kind of aggregate information and read what's going on. So I think, you know, being really well caught up in your industry um, and having some kind of news aggregator is a really great tool. Um, and then also like the power of the mailing list today is so important. And so having a really great like um, mail tool, email list, um, growth tools, like those are extremely, extremely important. Um, I, you know, personally, I'm a big fan of like MailChimp, SendGrid. Um, those are like two big ones that I really push and 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 advocate for. So making sure that if you're running an online business and you are, you know, you hopefully are capturing emails and, and lead generation and all that stuff, um, you're using a really great tool to help you do that. So yeah, those are those would be my biggest kind of tools I'd share to my fellow entrepreneurs today. Thank you, Leanne. Now we are finally done. Now we can do the, we can do the, uh, the sign off. I want to say thank you so much. And can you tell our dream drivers where they can find you and the boss mag online? Yeah. So I live in the land of Twitter a lot. Um, you know, I don't tweet a lot personally from my own handle, but I definitely see all of the boss mag, um, tweets that come through. So if you want to find us, you can find us first on Twitter at, um, my personal one is at Lemembo. That's L I M E M B O. And then also at boss mag, that's boss B A U C E. M-A-G, Boss Mag. Um, And then, you know, if you want to send a note, like definitely head over to our site, hit our, you know, contact button and and send us a note. You know, I definitely read and review a lot of the stuff that comes through there. So make sure, you know, if you just want to say hi, you have a question or you want to see more great content from Boss, like check us out there as well. So quick question. Why do you spell it B-A-U-C-E? Um, because of sauce. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> really? <laughs> sauce, yes. Like that is how it started. Um, and literally, you know, I think when I started the site, like, yeah, that's like when the whole girl boss revolution and lean in and all these things, you know, all these conversations were going on. And I was like, you know, I really want to do something for multicultural women. And I wanted to have like a colloquial kind of slang or saying to it. So, um, you know, I kept hearing the term like sauce, sauce, she got the sauce, whatever. And <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to name this like bot, like boss, like sauce, like, 
you know, she's a boss with the sauce. Like she's got it. She's shining. So that's kind of where the name came from. You know, it'd be cool. And I just thought of a cool marketing thing you could do is you should have different like readers of your site who live in different parts of the country say the word boss because everyone says it differently, right? Like New York, yeah. you have your boss, right? Yeah. And you, can have, <laughs> you know, I say boss, but it's like you can. That would be pretty. Cool. That would be really dope. We're gonna have to give you credit for that. You heard it here like... first. You heard it yeah. here first. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Leanne, and we shall chat soon. Thank you so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure. You guys keep listening to Dreams and Drive. It's an amazing podcast. All right, so that was a wrap for episode 85 with Leanne Membus. I hope that you enjoyed hearing her dream driving story as well as her keys to success. If there's something you missed, if you want to learn more, I invite you to go to our show notes page at dreamsanddrive.com and click on episode 85 and you can get everything you need from this episode right there. I also encourage you to make sure that you are subscribed to our Dreams and Drive channel. Wherever you're listening, make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you get notifications every time we We have a new episode. Episode 86 is one that you do not want to miss. I went into that interview um, with Sarah Vega, not expecting the conversation that we were going to have. I knew Sarah for about like three years now online. He met at an event and I really thought the conversation was going to go one way and it ended up, uh, she ended up telling a story that I was so like my it's that's all I'm gonna say is that episode is going to be really really interesting hopefully motivating and inspiring for all you guys listening in thanks for tuning in each week you guys I really do appreciate you all I really really do like from the bottom of my heart I really do keep dreaming keep driving don't let anyone tell you that your dream is too big Your dreams are never too big, so tell them, excuse me, but I'm dream driving and you could go your way. (laughs) All right, we'll talk soon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.